I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. You're listening to Chosen Family. It's a podcast. It's a live Facebook thing. It's a way of life. And it's produced and presented by the amazing people at FI. I'm Trana Winter. I'm Thomas LeBlanc. And And this this is is our show. Welcome to Chosen Family, everybody. Hi, Trana. Hi, episode two. Episode two already. Uh, let's talk about episode. We got such an amazing reception to the first episode. Thanks, yeah. everybody, for listening, subscribing on iTunes, watching on Facebook. It's been really... It's a, tr- it's a thrill to see that people are watching and people are listening. Yeah, I'm so excited and I'm so proud and I'm happy that it's connecting. Absolutely, absolutely. We're still in our uh, Larry King Live uh, studio, Charlie Rose studio here at the Phi Center in Montreal. Yes. It's really amazing. Uh, we got a great show lined up for you. Really, really special guest. But before that, it's back to school time. Which is a very traumatic time for a lot of children. A lot, and and walking here this morning, uh, Toronto. I I just remember late August two thousand is when I came out. You know, oh my god, yeah, I was fifteen years old at the time, and uh, and I remember I was. Uh, uh, I told my mom that I that I was gay at the time, and then I told my closest friends, and I re- I really wanted to sort of come to school and sort of have this like big moment right and I remember my my mom had this convertible car and we took the top down and I really wanted to to drive to school uh, with the music blasting so that everybody would get that I'm gay as a gay kid and uh it was around this time i would say like yeah late august and uh i was i we drove we picked up my best friend she was in the back seat and the song i picked is outside by george michael you so know the song blaring that was blaring in the convertible driving to school in this like residential area of montreal and um i was i in my mind i was picturing this like hollywood movie scene where like everybody would be there like 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 American high school exactly because I had like I I came out that like June prior to the to to that uh, sort of to my closest friends and to a few people at school but what I didn't realize is that when I would drive to school, it was so early that there was no one. So oh. the scene is literally me with just like George Michael blaring. And at the time I was 15, but for me, George Michael was the coolest. The way he handled the whole like uh, scandal yeah. in, in, in L.A. It was just like, I, you know, I was like, oh, this is a gay man. I sort of, you know, it was he was kind of a creep, but I also thought he was really cool. Well, George Michael is the best. He's the, he's the best. I, yeah. I and love I, that you wanted to be so visible. I really wanted to be really visible. And it, it's so strange. Strange. Looking back at that is is today. I'm 32, and the, the gay label is not doing it for me anymore. It's it's. I still use it because it's easy for people to understand. Right. You know, like we did a promo video, and in the video, I say I'm a French Quebecois gay ginger unicorn. Right. And of all those labels, the gay the, the gay label is a sort of. I don't feel that comfortable with it anymore. Yeah, I think we're in this moment in time now where, for a lot of us. Um, gender labels and sexuality labels just don't feel good. They don't feel right. Um, I know that for me, like in terms of my like history with labels, you know, it like starting off, you know, in elementary school and high school and thinking that I was like a gay man, which is so weird to say out loud. Um, And obviously that never feeling right. Um, And then eventually, you know, adopting, the label of being a trans woman, which felt right at first. Um, but in recent, you know, years and months, it, it feels less right. It feels too defining. Um, I think now I'm just sort of settled on trans. Like, I like that word because to me, it sort of represents being transcendent and transcending labels. And that's always where I feel like the most comfortable, the most myself is when I'm just free from from all of those labels. You know, where I can just be without having to explain or justify. Um, But those spaces are so rare 
and and hard to find. And 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 a lot of time, a lot of the time when people talk about you, they use that label. Yeah, you know or that they... label sort of helped you in a way to 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 sort of like get out there and sort of get people to be For interested sure. in what you do. Absolutely. Um, but then you become so associated with that, you know, and then there's sort of like an expectation, um, you know, and obviously right now when it comes to queer rights, it's, we're living in this very chaotic moment, and so. I think that when you actively define yourself by a certain label, then there becomes this question of like, how responsible are you for representing that in the world? And that's that's the thing with the gay label is I don't feel I want to identify with that label anymore. It's nothing against uh, people who choose that label as a culture. It's it's an amazing culture. It's very it's very important to me and close to my heart. But I at the same time I feel. You know, what if I'm interested in flirting with a woman? You know, what right. if I'm romantically interested in that? In you know, other other areas. And and for me, I'm not trans, but even the man label is like, what is it, what is it to be a, a white guy? Because that's what I am. It's and toxic. In this time, it's not easy. It's toxic to navigate this. Um, yeah, I felt like my whole life, any sort of male descriptor that was used for me always made me want to throw up. Like even when I was a kid, and someone would call me handsome, like I just wanted to like literally throw up. It made me so uncomfortable. But then it, at the same time, you're so attracted to men. Yeah, that's, a, that's I, the thing. That's that, so to me, it's it's you know, know knowing you and knowing what your type of guy it is. It is weird. I don't like. I think it, it's there's something profoundly wrong about me being attracted <laughs> to men. Like I think that it's a shortcoming. I think that it's a flaw. Really? Yes. To be attracted to men, um, I think it's a flaw. I I hope that I can evolve past it. But do you um, think? But I don't think that's. Do you happen. think that some people, let's say trans people or women or people of color, have like a moral high ground compared to like let's say white people or men? Well, I mean, moral high ground is because, like, I don't, I don't, I don't think that like every gay person is fundamentally a good person. Like, every woman would be a good person, no. or every trans person would be a good person. But we live in this time right now where, right. like, if you're if you have one of those labels, it's sort of a reverse privilege where you you we, people assume because you have been or could right. be marginalized that you have a moral high ground yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if the word would be moral high ground, but yeah, there is this expectation of because you're a marginalized person that you're a good-hearted person, that you're a caring person, um and I think people want to believe that, you know. Um, and there, there has even been over the weekend that hep- that episode with uh, with Caitlyn Jenner being sort of uh, not attacked, but sort of confronted publicly about her stand uh, on on gay rights and right. queer rights and trans rights. Well, she's always the example that I use yeah. about how like you can be a nightmare um, <laughs> while still being trans, yeah. and I think that's okay. I yeah. think that um, it's suffocating when. Yeah. Certain labels automatically imply that you have to, um, you know, that you have to be engaged socially and politically. I don't think anything that we are inherently, um, I don't think it, it it defines our role in society and the way that we move through the world, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes when people understand me as a trans person, there's automatically this expectation that I'm an activist, that I'm out on the streets marching, exactly. and sometimes I want to be, but I that's not really who I am or how I move through mm-hmm. the world, because yeah. for better or for worse, um, I'm just really see myself as an individual, you know? I don't yeah. really like to get too caught up in in group mentality and group think because I think there's danger in that as well. But at the same time, for example, for me, the queer label works really well. Like I really identify with that label, that community, that sense of belonging, that sense of being, we used to be bizarre. You well, because it's the, all encompassing. Exactly. And so I think the label queer, it it takes away the associations that the individual labels have, like trans, gay, lesbian. All of those labels come with a very strict... Um, set of expectations. And it keeps people guessing, which yes, is nice. It is it's, always nice to keep people guessing. Exactly. But I feel like, you know, all of these, this is not the first time that we've talked about this, and it's not the first time that our listeners have had these kinds of conversations. But I think what's interesting is that ultimately what usually these conversations lead to is an understanding that to some extent, labels are completely limiting. And ultimately useless in the sense that they never fully represent a person. And I know people who 
who feel very strongly about the labels that they use to describe themselves. But I think it's momentary. I think even sometimes if labels help us to define who we are, eventually you move past it. Mm-hmm. You evolve past it. I get if you're a thinking person, I guess. And not everybody has to go through that. And that's no. okay. And that's of okay. Course, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think the less expectations that we have of each other in all dimensions and forms, the better. You know, I wish that I, I don't know. I like I like to feel free. <laughs> and and it's hard to feel free in these times which are just very suffocating and the labels and people's expectations of how you have to behave and what makes a good what makes a good activist, what makes a good feminist. It's just it's all too much. Yeah. And speaking of people who transcend and are transcendent, we have an incredible show for everyone listening today. You spoke to your friend Nadia Ginsburg this morning. Yes, who is a brilliant comedian, writer, actress, and of course, our main guest for this episode, the legendary John Cameron Mitchell. And Montreal comedian Travis Cannon, who's been on many of our shows, who's hilarious, he's smart, he's a cancer. He's wonderful. (laughs) He just recorded a special for The Brunch Club, and we're so lucky to have an exclusive excerpt from that. And take a listen, he's amazing. I was really good at high school. It's really hard to talk relatably about being good at high school. Um, I got great grades. I was, uh, as mentioned, elected valedictorian. Popular vote. Like, I was like a cool high school anarchist, you know, like rebellious and like, any chance to stick it to the man, I was there. And then I just look at my life now and I'm like, where did that go? But here's the thing. Something I've realized with uh, wisdom is... It's that everything I thought was good about me in high school was actually like a, a mental trick. Like, what it was... Do you know who gets really good grades in high school? High school students. They are... A, super good at it. Um, That, the speech that I gave for my valedictory address, it made a substitute teacher cry, sure. But she also cried when I correctly identified the Suez Canal. So she was not a well woman. Like, things... Things were not okay at home. And I mean... Realistically speaking, the reason that I wanted to stick it to the man was because every day my English teacher would write, think for yourself, question authority, on the chalkboard. And I thought that sounded like a pretty good idea coming from a respected authority figure. (laughs) So I'm trying not to beat myself up too much about it. I mean, I've... I've made interesting choices since I left high school. Like there, I moved to Montreal. I don't speak French. And I got a creative writing degree from Concordia University. So like it's interesting, right? Like I might have known stuff back then, but like now I know other things. Like I know... Um, after-hours bars are a great place to go if you want to dabble in crystal meth, but you don't want to buy a bag. Like, like if you find one on the floor, you're open to the possibility. Because, like, you're an open-minded person, but you're not going to, like, go out of your way. You know? Like now, I I know the hottest loading docks to party at. Some of truly the finest ones. I can give you a point by point comparison against a series of bathhouses. Some have snack bars, some have Sunday brunches. It's really about who you are and when you're there.
So this morning I got to speak to someone I've admired for so long, Nadia Ginsburg, and she's a brilliant writer, comedian, actress,、um, most well known for her web series Madonna Logs. She worked as a writer on Fashion Police with Joan Rivers and is just an amazing person. And what's funny is that Nadia and I have like this very 2017 friendship because. We know and love each other, but we've never actually spoken to each but other. But it's all through social media. It's all through social media. But today we finally got the chance. She she lives in L.A. She lives in L.A. We're here in Montreal, but thanks to you know our faithful phone technology, <laughs> always was, there, always there. I was finally able to make it happen and talk to Nadia. So let's listen to that. Good morning, LA. Nadia Ginsburg, how are you this morning? Bonjour, bonjour. Je suis bien. Comment ça va? Oh mon Dieu, tu parles français? Je parle un petit peu de français. Je brosse mes dents avec un pinceau dentifrice. I brush my teeth with toothpaste. Oh my God, you、I、are so good. Growing up in in um yeah, I don't think I ever told you. You know, I was I was、uh, born in Canada. Are you kidding me? I, um. No, I grew up in the Polish-Ukrainian、uh, section of Toronto or Toronto. They don't really say the thing.、Um, so I grew up like、uh, learning little bits of、uh, Polish and Ukrainian、um, in、uh, in Toronto. And I we、uh, I came to the states when I was twelve. That's where my my dad is from. Okay, well, so you really grew、um, up in Canada. Your childhood was spent I here. I did. Yes, until twelve, and you by you know that then it's all over. Then you're over the hill, and、so、now you're now you're a total LA girl. <laughs> That's right, and I love I love Los Angeles. When I I moved from New York、uh, in two thousand to LA, and I had that New York weird snobbery about a even though I was coming to be on a, a show to work, so that was great. I was like, very exciting, but um. But I, I've come to really love it. I, I didn't dislike it when I moved. It's the most multicultural city in the entire country, and growing up in Toronto was very multicultural right. too.、Um, uh, so yeah, like, I'm an LA lady. It's like six forty-five in the morning right now in LA. Are you always up this early, Nadia?、Um, I've been trying to get up very early,、um, so I have more minutes. Um, to like battle those morning demons and get the work done in the morning, the exercise, the morning pages. <laughs> I love that. All that stuff. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I am an early riser. Yeah, me too.、Um, and so, what are you working on right now?、Um, right now, I well, I have a show. I don't know.、Uh, you know, I did a video. My one of my first. Uh, Uh, like comedic videos that got a big play was、uh, called Madonna and Child. Yes. And my friend Selene Luna played Lourdes. She、um, now is、uh, she's a comedian. She opens for Margaret Cho, and she's doing a show at the Improv on September twentieth. So I've been working on that.、Um, I'm working on a second series of a web series that、uh, Madonna loves, which、uh, really has like kind of uh, uh, has been arduous because it's been growing pains and. Kind of writer's block, but、right. that's coming along, and、uh, yeah, just performing and grasping these last shreds of summer、um, before September rolls in. Isn't it and, summer、uh, all year long in LA? You know, it kind of is. I have to say, like before I moved to LA, I would call my mom and say, "I have seasonal affective disorder. I need to sit in front of a bank of lights. I'm so depressed." And then I came out to LA, and I would call her and say. This is like Groundhog Day. No one even knows that movie anymore. I was like, every day the same thing. It's like I don't know whether I'm coming or going,、um, because I grew up. You know, I remember、uh, Canada winters. Right. I remember. You can't forget、snow. that kind of trauma. No, but uh, but uh, you do see there are seasons. It, it, they're just less dramatic, but they do still exist. Right、uh, in Los Angeles, yeah. So you have run... you been out here? No, I haven't. I might be coming next year. We'll see. I'll、really? definitely get in touch with you if that's the case.、Um, yeah, I also wanted love to love it. Oh, you'd love it. I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about because、um, I mean, obviously, this podcast is called Chosen Family, and you surround yourself in LA with like the coolest people.、Um, like I always see you on Instagram, and you're they're very annoying. Jackie, B. they're very annoying. They're very annoying. <laughs> 
I'm joking. <laughs> Listen, but when you love your family, when you truly love people, they're the people that you can be the most annoying and can be annoyed by, right? I always say that to people. They say, Nadia, you're so nice, which is sweet. And I said, yes, that's because you don't date me or you're not related to me. Because then you're I You're hilarious. Please. <laughs> Are you a single but, uh, girl? But I do. I'm not. No, my, my boyfriend's here. Okay. He's, uh, not here. Right. Yes. I live with my boyfriend. Um, but um, I, I do. Uh, I do find I am very lucky that I do feel I've created my own community of friends and performers. And um, they always happen to be gay. Most of them. <laughs> that um, gay and- is the way. <laughs> Um, so yes, I just want to yes. um, wrap this up with one last question for you. So in addition to yeah. the amazing artists and comedians that you surround yourself with, there's also um, a lot of voices in your head and you're known for, you know, inhabiting the roles of some very iconic people like Madonna and Winona Ryder and Cher. Yeah. Who's in your head yeah. right now the most? Who, whose voice you're hearing most strongly? Well... I don't know if you follow me on Twitter, but yeah, it's me, Cher. Oh my God! I was I was up all night just waiting for Trump to tweet something that fucking asshole. Anyway, it's a little early, but Trump, that but was yeah, amazing. Cher's a little bit of it. <laughs> and I wasn't putting you on the spot, by the way. I know it's early, yeah. um, but that was amazing, <laughs> even just to hear a little bit of Cher. And I love you so much, Nadia. And I'm so happy that we finally oh, got to talk. Me too. I'm honored. I'm honored and I'm so excited for you. Thank you so and much. I can't wait to listen to the whole thing. I can't wait either. So we'll talk soon. Okay. Okay. okay have a great have LA a day. day. Okay. You too. Bye. Au revoir. Our main guest this episode is. Beyond description, it's John Cameron Mitchell. It's literally like if you met a Dalai Lama, Chana. Well, maybe that's pushing it a little bit, but John... He's a hero of yours. Yes, John is a true hero of mine, and it's hard to describe him because even using the words brilliant and genius and legendary just do not do him justice. And he's also, as we learn meeting him, very zen and in the moment and peaceful And he just has this amazing, loving presence. And it was so wonderful to be in his company for for the conversation that we had. And it was interesting to talk about labels with him. Exactly. so much of his work, you know, uh, sort of creating the character of Edvig and then, you know, uh, directing Short Bus, like, you know, sexual and gender labels are something he's very fluid with, with his work and also in other people. He's really accepting of other people the way they are. And that's, you know, something we need more in our society. Absolutely. And for anyone listening to this who is not familiar with who John Cameron Mitchell is, I mean, his list of accomplishments is just insane. So he's the writer, creator, director, producer of Hedwig, um, which started as an off-off Broadway show, then became this fantastic indie movie, and then it became a Broadway extravaganza a couple of years ago with Neil Patrick Harris. As you mentioned, he wrote and directed Short Bus. He directed Nicole Kidman in her Academy Award-nominated performance in Rabbit Hole, and he has a new movie out now, um, which is called How to Talk to Girls at parties and it's getting its North American premiere here in Montreal at Pop. So check it out and listen to this interview. I couldn't be more thrilled to share it with you. Hello, John Cameron Mitchell. Hello. <laughs> I could use my confirmation name. Too. I had to I just had to say the three names out loud to really believe that this moment is happening right now. You love John Cameron Mitchell, Trana. I know I'm trying to remain composed. <laughs> I really don't want to embarrass myself, but at the same time I don't really feel any shame in in wanting to celebrate my love for you. <laughs> Can you use every name? You could use my confirmation name, Benedict. John oh. Benedict Cameron Mitchell. <sighs> Which I was forced into. I wanted Dominic because I thought a Dominic would be a c- cuter yeah. person. <laughs> Saint. Well, I think Dominic is cuter than Benedict. Right. But, but I was a man of, I was a boy of duty then, and I was taught by Benedictine monks and barely avoided being molested, but didn't know until later. A Catholic from Texas. Is that Oh, a- we just lived there for a few months because oh, my right. dad was in the army. Okay, okay. My mom was Scottish, so we lived uh, in. I lived in Scotland when I was a kid uh, in boarding school. 
And it took you about 20 years to make your escape? Yeah, and about 50 years to write about it. <laughs> One of my favorite lines in Short Bus is New York, where, New York is where everyone goes to be forgiven. And uh, fucked. Yes. <laughs> but I'm curious... In that order. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm curious about... Um, maybe it wasn't conscious at the time, but looking back on that moment of escape, what, what you were going to New York to be forgiven for. Well, I mean, it was just, you know, being queer was bad enough, you know, growing up and still for a lot of people just being not fitting in and then realizing that that was a privilege, you know, and a gift and you can do stuff with that. And I used to think being queer was in made someone inherently interesting which I don't believe so. oh, no. <laughs> it really less doesn't less. Yeah. I, I mean maybe when there was more a bit more diversity in the first world it, it, it allowed it created the pressure cooker thing created people that were not necessarily better people but more they they had to have strategies right you know which which maybe made them more interesting and um, but then later it was you know sadly you know the one you know disadvantage of of uh, acceptance and of different kinds of queer means those, there's more uh, mediocrity coming our way, mm. <laughs> no, um, and uh, more uh, queer Republicans in America. Though I don't, Trump seems to be maybe holding that off a little. Well, there's there's a twink for Trump movement. That there was, I feel that might That's have have yeah. uh, shrunk a bit, right. a little bit, since yeah. his attacking of uh, queer people in general. Yeah. yeah, after lying in many ways about many things. That's an understatement. <laughs> how, how do you feel being in Canada, looking outward on, on the U.S.? I feel Free. like I'm looking through a beautiful veil, right? Through a you know stocking, through a, a lens full of Vaseline. <laughs> uh, but you know the it, obviously the uh, the shadow. Is, is on the world, you know, and yeah. uh, it's, it's really weird being here during the Charlottesville thing, which was so, so ugly and so frightening. I, I've been trying to, you know, take a diet of news and stuff, as a lot of people are, but then you don't want to just be a, you know, a wimp and, and hide. Yeah, I feel like we're in this moment where so much is being demanded of us and it's it's unabsorbable. It's, it is. And it's also, we didn't want to have to be warriors at this moment in time. That's you know. Right. But it is, I agree with you, It's we want to sort of look away and try to create some feeling of peace in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Yeah. Alternate, not facts or alternate reality, but alternate, uh, alternative to exactly what, what we're seeing. And... The the, da- the dangers, of course, to be sucked into being the people that you seem to be your adversaries, you know, using the same tactics. You know, Trump's ugly, simplified, you know, critique of that is like violence on all sides, right. on many sides, as opposed to the complexity, which is so much there. Exactly. But I don't wa- also don't want to be just lashing out. I'm not a lashing out person. And... Mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not a soldier, you know, in in the traditional way. Though my dad actually was was a general in the army. Did that influence your approach to the work? Because you're, you're a filmmaker. My approach to filmmaking. That's the thing. You're 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 a filmmaker, you're an actor, a writer, uh, and you really seem when you when watching you sort of operate, uh, watching your work, and and then Isn't watching you operate. Military. Yeah, there's something you know. You know where you're where you're going. You I know where you're You know, my dad wanted me to be in the yeah. military, and he was. He was also struggled with his own sexuality, which he revealed to me. And he, you know, he said we were all bis- we are all bisexual, and then we make a choice. And he made the right choice, and mm. we could do that. That's interesting. Do you agree with that? Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, maybe all women. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> well, I think uh, there is there is something to that. There always there has always seemed to be this more fluidity with women in terms of and sexuality. Guys get very visual about their sexual response you know they're, they're like you're jerking off to certain images you know it's like a very visual right. thing and I always admired uh, women who sexual thing was more of a big picture and a dynamic and a f- you know feeling based so, you know can be visual too right but um, I, I think we have we all have stuff to learn from each other 
It's interesting. Is that something you explored in Short Bus? Yeah. I mean, you know, we made it in the early 2000s. Um, I grew up very Catholic. You know, fear of sex was in the air. My dad's own struggle with sexuality was in the air. Um, And so I wanted to go somewhere where you're a little frightened. I mean, that is the advantage of of art is to go places that scare you a little in a way that you might be surprised, but also involves nuance and 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 uh, exaggeration and 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 um you know i don't jumping off the deep end in it in an informed way hopefully so uh i wanted actors who wanted to go there too maybe if i made it now there might be kind of a trigger warning safe space right. alert yeah that would be a really right? different or another people's like well you don't have enough uh of a variety of people having yeah. sex. Right. That no, might be the well, I, that's I something know. that struck me watching it. I thought I think there was diversity, but I think today there wouldn't be en- there wouldn't be enough diversity. In, in you know what? No bus. films. Yeah. No film is big enough yeah. for everybody. <laughs> that's true. Um, and you have to sort of you know you start with your own story. Yeah. Uh, but I did want people who wanted to go on that journey mm-hmm. and were willing to use sex like music, use, uh, like a musical uses music. Right. You know, sex is a language yeah. that can be used in different ways. And I thought it was too complex to just leave to porn. Yeah, absolutely. Or leave it to Hollywood, which had, you know, still fun, but maybe flattened views of, yeah. of uh, sexuality. So in our case, I sought out people. Anyone could audition, send in an audition tape. Uh, and it ended up being some friends, Suk Yin Lee and yeah. uh, friends uh, who were already a couple, queer gay couple. Um, and I, oddly, I couldn't actually find a female, a uh, female couple mm-hmm. who wanted to do that, mm. you know, uh, maybe it's cause I was a male, I don't, you know, I don't know, but you know, it was a, it was a very interesting process and we chose nine interesting people before we had any plot and then with them through improv, prob created the story. Mm-hmm. So it was a very collaborative a thing which I want to keep doing. Do you, do you consider yourself as someone working within the industry or outside of the industry? I don't know what the industry yeah. is. Mm. I mean, are you within the industry? No, here? no. <laughs> but this looks very yeah, fancy. It's pretty, yeah, yeah. Studio. this is the first fancy thing that we've yeah, been able we're pretty to do. DIY. Oh, really? We're yeah, punks. we're punks at heart. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like that's, that's the sort of kinship I feel from you. Is like you're a punk. I'm a punk who launders corporate money. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, for them. It's yes. a service. I'm like yeah. the Grand Cayman Islands. Yes. I want to, you know, because some people who've invested in some of my projects are in jail. I mean, I didn't know they were going to jail. And I'm They're not in jail? Oh, my God. <laughs> but, you know, they're, when, they, when they see St. Peter at the Pearly Gates, we're going to be a, a diamond in their crown, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. to maybe get them past. <laughs> um what? Yeah, you know, I've never really been a group, per, uh, a uh, organization yeah, person. I like to create my own yeah. environments where people yeah. can feel free that are uh, a film set. Like, my dad was excited when he saw me on set because he realized I had become what he was, which was a kind of benevolent general. Right. <laughs> you know, where on set there's, there is a kind of delegation and, like, let's make everybody happy, but a final say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I also like creating these sh- small families for short periods of time. I think when they go on too long, you get infighting. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that idea of, you know, creating your own sort of chosen family inner circle that we see a lot in your films and that idea of coming together, I feel like for me watching, especially Hedwig and Short Bus together, that the longing and the searching for the other half. Um, yeah. Um, Which is a kind of family right there. Exactly. You and your other half, But that, that means. I remember the first time that I saw Hedwig and heard the origin of love. And it's kind of an overwhelming realization watching it. Even now, still, there's something overwhelming about that idea that, that love is born from pain and separation. Yeah. Which is a weird... I don't know, Christian view yeah. of love, maybe, you know, where pain is has to be involved. Other cultures or points of view will look at love in a different way. Um, and maybe in a healthier way where it's more of temporary, moving from love to love, changing form right. of love, maybe in a Buddhist way. But 
you know, I had Christ on the cross all day, and <laughs> and there's a there was something very powerful in this Platonic myth, you know, a myth written by one guy, mm-hmm. Plato, in 400 BC, uh, as part of his symposium. That uh, a symposium being kind of a like a a gay post Tony's party. Yeah, you know, someone's just won a theater <laughs> award, and they all have to give a speech yeah. about yeah. about why. Male on male love is is hot, right? <laughs> and one of the stories was Aristophanes tells the story of the origin of love, seeking your other half, and whether it's true or not, it sure resonates. It, yeah, there's something very. I don't know. I feel something every time I hear that song. There's something in me that Stirring. just happens. Yeah. You, the fact that you explored that territory is that connected to your because. Are you still a part of, or can you even be a part of Radical Fairies? Like, how does that work? Yeah, Radical Fairies is a perfect example of a non-signatory group of people who, you know, might show up at some gatherings. You know, Radical Fairy was termed, uh, the term came from Harry Hay, who started Mattachine Society, which was the first queer rights uh, organization in, in the, the 50s. US yeah. in the 50s I mean yeah. there was certainly more earlier ones in Europe but uh, that's the name of our party Mattachine which we do at Julius which is the oldest gay bar in New York that had so, the Mattachine events uh, actions there I think I've been to that party I was very very drunk <laughs> 2011 it was your birthday because you were a spring baby right are you yes, April April 21st yeah. yeah and I remember going to that party and I remember making out with your friend Justin Vivian Bond and that party. It's very yeah. likely. It's very likely. <laughs> In that year. You seem to be drawn to these femme creatures yes. that don't that can never really be fully defined. And yeah. I think Hedwig in a lot of ways, and I think why it, I mean at least why it resonated with me so much, was that at the time it it felt at least like the first sort of expression of that to break through the mainstream. You know, because before but it wasn't that, even that mainstream. But I feel like I remember I found out about you Hedwig because it. it was in People magazine. Really? Yeah, I remember there being this blurb. <laughs> really? And just that little blurb, I'm like, I have to track down this. How important film. was that film for you? But for me, it was so important because growing up, you know, with mainstream media, you know, like I was like growing up in the Will and Grace era where right, it was like didn't really it, it didn't do anything cover much no it did not cover much but it was it covered what it was sort of allowed to cover within the mainstream but it really didn't go beyond that right. but Hedwig for me was the first thing that went beyond Aww. that you know thank you um, and I I mean I'm not the only one who feels that way about it Hedwig was tra- a transformative experience for a lot of people um, and your audience you know, for Hedwig has grown from the little New York places to the big Broadway it's, stage. It's an incredible story. The arc of the of, of obviously of Edwig, but obviously of, of the project in your life and how that character has just become. Yeah, it's like one of those things, like a lover that you create and a baby and an ex-wife now <laughs> um, that kind of allowed me to meet the most interesting people right. in my life. Yeah. You know, and allowed me to do things I care about, and it's and it was never for anything but us and our friends. It mm-hmm. never really made any money. It was kind of you know, it was a flop on screen, and then people found it on DVD. And the Off Broadway show was just sort of hung on by you know her Lee press-ons. It was just very simple. But I was watching and learning, being a kind of more traditional uh, actor. I was hanging out downtown and watching these drag queens and trans performers and rock peop- gods yeah. who were not famous doing their thing. There was a club called Squeezebox. It was very formative for a lot of people. And, and, and Justin Vivian ended up there. And all these people who I, I, I learned from, you know, and not being a real drag performer, I was... You know, did not feel like I fit in at first, mm. you know. But How did you approach that? Well, I knew I wanted to write a musical, and the uh, Stephen Trask, yeah. who was my composer, was this is the place we were hanging out, and he was the leader of the house band. 
and my boyfriend was the bass player in the basement. Mm. So it was a family right. place. It go every week. You know, it was like punk rock, queer. So that, that's the early nineties, I'm guessing. Yeah, ninety four yeah. to, mm-hmm. to two thousand, and it was just so exciting. It was exactly what I've been waiting for my whole life. Is a predominantly queer rock punk club, yeah. you know, and the the drag queens who were lip syncing up to that point. We're like, oh, I can use my real voice for yeah. for this Iggy Pop song, and it actually sounds pretty good. So they're like, all oh, they're already punk and didn't know it. Right, stepping into a house punk karaoke. Right. You were a teenager in the punk years. Is I wasn't. That, yeah, is that I, is sort of. I wasn't anywhere aesthetic? near anything punk. That's not the though. aesthetic you were. I wish I I had. Yeah. It would have probably helped. But I was in Kansas, and there wasn't anything like that there. So, you know, B-52s was like the most punk right. I heard of, which was great. But it's interesting that something as punk as Hedwig, especially in terms of the influences that you had in in birthing her, and then cut to 20x years later, and then Neil Patrick Harris as Hedwig. Yeah. I know. Yeah. That's crazy to I know, go Neil, from who's that like underground America's to that sweetheart. Absolutely. Yeah. But who res- it, for it resonated for him too. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that, that I wanted something that used Broadway uh, structures that were comforting, a narrative mm-hmm. like, you know, beginning, middle, and end, closing number, opening yeah. number, things that people could, it, it could be the sugar that makes the medicine go down. Right. You know, it's like this is. I always want my things to be pop, right? But also with some depth. Yeah, I feel like that. That's that's <laughs> our philosophy to a T, literally. Yeah. The next thing I'm doing is a musical podcast, podcast yeah. series. Amazing. And it's something that I originally thought of for television as a series, mm-hmm. and it would be starring me and Cynthia Erivo, who was in The Color Purple on Broadway. It's unbelievable. Um, but it was too strange. Mm. You know, we went to L.A., pitched it, gave them the script for the whole season, and though people were excited, it was just too much. Your latest film will be uh, screened in Montreal at uh, Pop September. Montreal, Pop Montreal, September. It's an amazing, amazing. I know. Festival. I didn't even know about it. There were so many. Are you coming back for that? No, because okay. I'll be in uh, BC. Okay, writing, but so. Let's talk about the new yeah. movie. The new one is called How to Talk to Girls at Parties. Yes, which I haven't seen yet, but I'm very excited about. I Again, I, it comes down to this alien fascination. Because Hedwig is kind of an alien yeah. to me, yeah. you know? Yeah, and she doesn't um, fit into any... She doesn't fit. She's not even trans. You know, she was just kind of dropped onto the earth. Yeah. Exactly. Or even nationality. She's East German, but the She's never half really, American. Yeah, half she American. didn't yeah. really want to be trans, but was kind of forced yeah. into a bad decision that would became something beautiful as hopefully all our lives can be mm-hmm. yeah. given a set of circumstances by life and then we we do we we have choices yeah we have some choices and that's the only message of of Hedvig is what do you do with what you're given mm-hmm. you know and how do you move past regrets? Is that a similar... So how did you approach... Because Elle Fanning is playing an alien and, and How to Talk to Girl at Parties. Yes. It, how to Talk to Girl is from, uh, adapted from a short story by, by Neil Gaiman. And we've kind of made it into a Romeo and Juliet story with a London punk teenage boy and a space alien girl. Right. Who appears to be an American teenager a on spring break. sci-fi romantic comedy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he thinks she's, you know, very... Odd, but she must just be American. Right. She's wearing yellow rubber suits and dancing to weird ethereal music. Right. That's, that's what they're doing in California, maybe. <laughs> so the whole thing is this misapprehension. And then he thinks she might be in a cult. And he's got a saber. You know, is it a dangerous cult? Um, Ruth Wilson and, and Matt Lucas, you know, play the cult leader or the uh, alien leaders who are trying to get her back, you know, like Romeo and Juliet. And Nicole Kidman plays the leader of the punk right. enclave. And she looks amazing. <laughs> she, she looks ferocious. She's very nasty in this. And she said she was out of her... She's like, John, I'm out of my comfort level. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> how, do you re- how do you react when Nicole Kidman says to the director, John, I'm out of my comfort level? What do I, you- I tell the extra not to hit her with the bass again <laughs> oh, wow. in the head. Oh, did she get hit? Yes, but luckily her wig was bushy enough okay. oh my god uh, she's you like, shot that in, in England right in Sheffield in Sheffield yeah. in London 
Other actors were spitting in her face by, oh, by accident. Wow. Wow. Like, oh, wow. What's going on? <laughs> um, I was like, I call him sorry. It's, we're moving so fast. It's punk. <laughs> um, but she graciously right. entered our world. And uh, I love working with her. I worked with her on right. Rabbit yeah. Hole. Which um, I feel, because Nicole is obviously having a sort of renaissance right now. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's not a renaissance. Not, no, but. It's that she's suddenly, people realize she's always been cool. Exactly. And, and you it took, knew it. It took a TV show, Big Little Lies, for people to go, oh my But I think God. Rabbit Hole started that, personally. I Because I feel like after she won the Academy Award for The Hours, yeah. there were a couple of not-so-great film choices, mm. which but, I but think— then you never know ex- if Of course, it's be not bad. putting any blame on Nicole. Yeah. But I feel like Rabbit Hole was sort of the reminder and that, she produced that people that needed. Too. Oh, I didn't know she produced and that. And hired me. That's amazing. From and she watched yeah. Short Bus and hired me. That's amazing. That's amazing. We didn't talk about ma- Short Bus much. Makes her, yeah, well, Short Bus is kind of a eyes wide shot. She like, had an instinct, know? and yeah. you know, I talked about the story with great emotion. It really moves me. I, I lost her brother when he was four years old. The character loses her child at four, and you know, she kicked my ass. I kicked her ass on set to get what I think is her, her best performance. And so we love working with each other. Yeah. And there, here's, a, here's a Canadian story <laughs> I haven't told on, on the air. But we premiered at TIFF, and uh, I had one night off, and I was going to do a queer, you know, like, DJ night. It's like, you know, all the press. It was stressful. Um, and I had one night off. So uh, me and some friends... Uh, a friend from Kingston said, hey, I got some MDMA. That's like, last September at TIFF? No, when, this is when rabbit, rabbit, oh, hole, rabbit Hole. Rabbit Hole, okay, right. 2009, seven, 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 eight years ago, yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh, God. I, I'm, and I'm working this festival. I, I don't really oh do things much. And, Come on, John. <laughs> <laughs> you need to relax. This is all stressful. I'm like, well, it is my night off and, you know. I'll just get to sleep early. And then so I, I, I took some MDMA and it was very good. And I was at the Gladstone Hotel eating <laughs> locally sourced food. This is the most <laughs> John Cameron Mitchell story. And then I get – I look down I have 12 messages and, and texts. Where the hell are you from my producer? The meeting with the distributor is tonight. The only oh distributor God. we want. And I'm like – <laughs> get over here and I'm like I'm drunk <laughs> they're like get some coffee in you and get over here this is it so I'm like <gasps> getting tense because I haven't really kicked in All, everyone's hugging me you can do this <laughs> hugging too so long so I get good. in a cab you know I'm talking to the cabbie for a long time fascinated by his flight from Somalia to Canada I was like that's an incredible story. get to the hotel the producers are staring at me what's wrong you know his, his, his pupils are really big. Get, so, ten people from the company oh are there. We're in a Glaston dining area. Was Nicole there? No, because she was... Okay. She, it was not really her thing, and negotiating. Mm-hmm. So they're with the entire company and the, the two producers and, and me. High and suddenly, I, the nice conversation with the Somali, suddenly I was fully in it. <laughs> and I was like, hi, everybody. And they're like, we're really fast. We love this film. We weren't going to do, you know, it's like we want to do an Oscar campaign and the money. I was like, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how each of the ten of you really felt about this film. (laughs) What did it? And they were all like, oh. And then there were tears, discussions of people's lost loved ones. And my producers are staring at me because I'm not supposed to be controlling this meeting. I'm just the director. I'm not the producer. And by the end, hugs. No way. And an incredible contract. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, if you ever need to negotiate a a small film, I can hook you up with the right. Amazing. Well, I'm gonna, I might take you up on that, John. <laughs> We've got one final segment before we're done with the interview. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, chosen things. So I'm going to name you something, and you need to tell me what you, what you like choose. Like your favorite thing. Yeah, favorite of thing. The category. Yeah. Okay. First one, chosen album of all time. Oh, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard you had a bunch of CDs in your oven. Is that still the case? 
I haven't checked. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't cooked. Um, album, come on. Just the first one that comes to mind. All right. It doesn't have to be uh, uh, definitive. Hunky Dory. Mm. Yeah. Bowie. Chosen, oh, Chosen Bowie Look was the second one. That's weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's weird and it's... Hmm. Chosen Bowie look. I kind of liked his fascist look. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> did you ever get to meet Bowie? I did. He came to the show when I was doing Hedvig. Off-Broadway, I thank God I didn't know he was there. I mean, when certain people came, yeah. Lou Reed, you know, B. Arthur. No <laughs> Patty way. LaPone. Oh, my God. Some nights it was B. like... B. Arthur? Barry Manilow, who I worshipped as a kid. Oh and God. Marilyn Manson was ne- you know, behind him. Wow. And, okay, I knew that wow. a lot of people came to the show. I didn't know... Some of those. <laughs> totally. I mean, it was everyone. It was people who disappointed me, like Madonna, who was not very nice, and <laughs> others. You know, it was just, it was a variety, you know, and then. It's incredible. We heard Bowie was there. I'm so, you know, glad I didn't know, and he loved it, and he, he actually put money into our later yeah. production, and wow. I got to meet him because my boyfriend was working at the studio he worked at, and he was like, you got it right, Joe. <laughs> I just became Australian. <laughs> <laughs> Bowie, Bowie and Nicole together. Right? That yeah. never happened. Yeah. yeah. Bowie and Tilda Swinton, that happened. That happened. That happened. Yeah. Um, chosen New York neighborhood. Well, I live in the West Village, and I st- even though it's changed so much, I still like it because it's rent-controlled <laughs> Yeah, for me. <laughs> um, but there's lovely, there's a lot of, cute place it's just that money rules there more than others towns mm-hmm. so so things are not as precious you know um my you know my hospital across the street is now you know public housing for rich people and <laughs> our park is you know but then we, they gave us a park and we made part of an is i don't know i think probably still the west village i right. guess and one last uh chosen chosen um Nicole Kidman movie you did not direct? Um, I really liked Dogville, mm. though I found the ending a, a bit mm-hmm. of a, a kind of a, a cop-out. But I really liked her in Dogville. I liked that Noah Baumbach movie she did, Margot at the Wedding. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. I still have a soft spot for the hours. Yeah. I know it's, it's obvious. It's got wonderful, but wonderful things in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I love the Julianne Moore story a lot. Yeah, man. and I still love To Die For. Yeah, I, say, I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, I have to say I really still love that. She was incredible in that, yeah. sexy and You know, vicious. no one else in her, her, cat, her what would you call it, sphere mm-hmm. um, is as, as adventurous. Yeah, you said that in, in some interviews. It's true. You yeah. don't see, maybe Kate Blanchett and Tilda right. Swinton, but you don't see a lot of the A-list mm. You know, you don't see Kate Winslet seeking out Park Chan Wook or Lars von Trier right. or all these interesting or directors. You, for that instance, no, yeah. <laughs> that's another story. Yeah, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but oh you know, I do, I, I do think she's finally being appreciated as the this the artist, yeah. and challenging artist that she is. And um, you know, we'll do more stuff together. I can't wait to see that. Thank you so much for You're being welcome. here today with us. I love you so much. Check out our film, Pop Montreal, <laughs> yes, September 17th, North American premiere. Yeah, we will be pushing that for you while you're not here. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thank you. Obsession. Obsession. What are you obsessed with? What am I obsessed with? Trona, I have to say I'm completely obsessed with John Cameron Mitchell now. I know. What an amazing moment. We're so lucky that we were graced with his presence. He's I mean, so, Bowie, Nicole Kidman, B. His Arthur. Stories, B. Arthur. Can you stories. imagine B. Arthur going to see Hedwig? That image yeah, in that my image mind is, really good. is powerful. Yeah, Golden Girls fan. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, kind of crazy. So what are you obsessed with this week, Jenna? Um, well, I'm not just obsessed with it this week. It's more uh, an ongoing obsession. Um, it's Sarah Jessica Parker's Instagram. Of course. twenty year, It's 20 years this year uh, that Sex and the City premiered. Yeah, is which is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is crazy. Um, everyone who knows me knows how obsessed I am with Sarah Jessica Parker and... I know that there will be a moment where we finally come face to face one day. We've come close, but not yet. Um, And her Instagram account, for anyone who's following, and if you're not, you need to follow her immediately, 
it's just so riveting because inside of Sarah Jessica Parker is still very much this five-year-old girl who is fascinated by the world and every little thing is miraculous. Like, I mean, she'll post these videos of what she sees. You can't see her, but you can see what she sees. And she sort of narrates scenes in her life. Um, And it can range from, like, seeing a caterpillar on the ground and, like, her getting so excited about that. Last week, um, she traveled to go see the solar eclipse and she was losing her mind. Um, and just documenting, on a boat. yeah, on a, on a boat, boat and, but literally filming the water and narrating the whole thing. Yeah, narrating yeah. the whole thing and just like squealing. And I just, I love her joie de vivre. I love, I love her preciousness. And it's really the anti-celebrity Instagram. Like exactly. She's barely promoting anything. Sometimes her shoe line, but it's really soft. And like everything is really about her life. But if it wasn't hers, it would not be interesting at all. Exactly. That's the but crazy it's because part. it's her. Because like it's her, last yeah. year, last year she posted a picture <laughs> of a tomato sauce that she was making. Um, and I quote from the last great tomatoes of the season. Um, that was last year she posted it. And she said, you know, I'll show you the finished product later, and she never, she never did. did. I'm it's still very, waiting. I have to say, I agree with you. It's a very relaxing thing. If yeah, you, if you're it's very out, soothing. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like what it's Martha's the new fidget spinner, but yeah, like for smart people. It's sort of like the Barefoot Contessa <laughs> and like Martha's old show on PBS. Like just yeah. those very tranquil, life is beautiful, life is great experiences, and I just love it, and I love her, and I she just lives in be, the West Village, yeah, like John Cameron. Exactly. Yeah. I just want to be a part of her world in uh, a little way. Crazy! Oh my god, my obsession is the opposite. It's a it's a it's a punk girl band from Montreal, uh, Rosebush. You saw them at our yeah, uh, opening party. I love them. We get because we did a launch party. Thanks to everybody who came to the launch party. And they're four girls. They're fronted by Ali and uh, Amanda. Ali's Canadian. Amanda's Danish. And uh, Ali plays the bass, uh, kind of mysterious. And right. she was the one who wanted to start a punk band. Apparently, so the legend is that she met Amanda at a cafe in Milan, and she was like, "Do you want to start a punk band?" <laughs> That's amazing. And, and Amanda. And uh, new to Montreal from uh, Denmark was like, yeah, let's start a punk band. And now they're taking over the Montreal music scene. They opened for Ott, the post-punk, ba- post-punk band this summer. And they played our party with Awful and Ghost Love. And they're really, really, really amazing. And their music is just like, it's punk, it's sexy, it's mysterious. There's obviously that like... Uh, you know, late 70s Patti Smith uh, element, but also a little bit of Interpol, like for people who like like more recent, you know, darker, gothy uh, post-punk. So I'm really, really obsessed with them. And they're really smart because they only have one song online. They're recording right now new material, but I'm really, I can't wait. I know, we want more. I really want more of Rosebush. So we'll leave you on that. It's Rosebush. The song is called Bello. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you again in two weeks.
Chosen Family was recorded live at Defy Center. And we're so lucky to be working with them. They're the best. We're live on Facebook every second Tuesday at 11 Eastern. Follow Defy Center on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And follow us too. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud and iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Don't we deserve it? Thanks to Ghost Love for all the music. And thank you for listening, sharing, and laughing. We'll see you soon. You're family now. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.